0: And here we are live. So Miriam, Miriam Halachmi, as the uh, as the Jews would say, welcome, welcome to
1: our show. Thank you very much, Mel, and Thank you for inviting me from Chile, London.
0: In, actually, I'm in Chile, Athens right now, but um, <laughs> and, it, and and it is chilly. Um, and uh, and we're here to celebrate your brand new book, which is so new that it doesn't come out until two weeks from now. Well, it's
1: out um, in uh, London, but I think, uh, okay. uh, yeah, and I think it's just come out. People are getting it in Israel and America. so I think gradually it's appearing. but it's been out in London since October the first okay. so
0: how, how do the how do the Brits pronounce your name?
1: Okay, so <laughs> you know that I'm the only Miriam Halami on the internet. If you if you Google my surname, because obviously this name is not originally from London, it was from Baghdad, and in the family name was Khabazah. And when they came to Israel, they Hebraicized the name, and it's all to do with Lacham Lechem, bread, baker. So they invented Halachmi, which works in Israel, but we don't have the Chet in London or in America. So my brother-in-law, the sculptor, Oded Halachmi, many people might know him, when he came to study um, art in London, he invented the English spelling, so it's the third you know, transliteration of the name. And because he put the silent H in, we say Halami. Um, nobody else spells it that way. So, if you are from the Halami family, once the internet appeared, we have unique names on the internet.
0: Yeah, it's, it's one of the good things, right? Um, Excellent. I'm probably the only Melvin Rosenberg with a Y. Um, oh. I, but nobody looks for me. Um, so, so let, let's. I, I forgot to say uh, that uh, my name is Mel Rosenberg, and I am the host of the Children's Literature Channel. Of the New Books Network, and I'm here with Miriam Halami. Um, I'm going to call you Miriam Halachmi. Um, yes, I like to, ce- to celebrate your brand new book, A Boy from Baghdad, published by Green Bean in Britain. And um, tell us, uh, tell us a little bit about the book. I'm, I'm, I'm interested, just as interested in your life and career, but a few words about your book.
1: Well. Thank, and as I said, thank you so much for inviting me on. Um, this is the book. Um, it's got the most beautiful cover. Here is the River Tigris, the desert river going through Baghdad. And on the back of the book, we have, sorry, we have the synagogue. Um, and so we have the minarets, we have the synagogue. And the, and the Iraqi Jews talk about the beautiful life of old Baghdad. Um, when I met my husband, In London, uh, in 1977, 78, that sort of era, before we got married even, I had no idea who he was. And this is a man who presents himself as, I grew up in Israel, but I'm an Iraqi Jew, or what? (laughs) And there was, we had no knowledge, we had no context, we knew nothing, and we are Jews. So I'm very much an Ashkenazi Jew. I was born in London in 1952. But it is interesting that the Persian Jews claim me for my own. We are quite dark. This used to be dark. And my brothers and I and my, my grandfather, we think, had Persian blood. But we have no Persian culture in us. I've acquired that through Persian. Well, what, what, what's, what's your maiden name? My maiden name is Berkovich. Well, oh, that's the family an, That's an Ashkenazi name. The Ashkenazi name, my family, come from Zdubska Wola in Poland and on my mother's side from Lodz. So we are, you know, the original settled Jews. We know all about the Ashkenazi life and then the Anglo-Ashkenazi life with our own pronunciation of Hebrew in synagogue and bagels and smoked salmon and borscht and all that food and that whole culture, you know, alongside our English culture. And then I meet Raphael Alakbi. And I am plunged into a world I had no idea of. I go to visit the family. They are a huge family. He's the youngest of eight children. Here they are, this beautiful photograph, taken on the roof of their house in Jaffa when they left the Marlbara. And there's my, my husband kneeling up, the little boy. Um, and um, just to look at that photograph, and, you know, and to think about the Ashkenazi world, would you think that you're even looking at Jews? And this, I think...
0: Well, uh, I, 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 I don't know how you grew up in London, but we knew that there were Sephardic Jews when I grew up in Ottawa. And uh, the, mm. um, the Jewish intelligentsia in Canada were uh, Jews from Morocco who lived in Montreal. So,
1: um I, I would I, say, no, there was no mixing of 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 the Jews from, and no learning about it. We didn't learn about it in shul, we didn't learn about it in Haida, we certainly didn't learn about it in school, because we never learned about Jews in school. You know, I grew up in a Christian country, in an Ashkenazi culture, and suddenly this huge, rich, beautiful culture, which is completely different, Food, customs, language—they spoke Judeo-Arabic, Hebrew, bits of French, bits of English. They yelled all sorts of things at them. Huge family. Every time you go, and you know those small flats in Israel that people lived in in the seventies—I think it's improved—and with no air conditioning. You know, there would be fifteen people minimum in the room every time I turned up anywhere. And everywhere you have to eat. You know, it's huge. And things that I just—you know—it was I was plunged into a world I knew nothing of. Um, but of course it was very exciting. Um, Did
0: you, did you you eventually learn how to cook the kuba?
1: Yeah, we cook uh, kuba. I cook sweet sour chicken and the bebe biscuits. We've got some on the go at the moment. So yes, I I watched my mother-in-law and, and I did make, I did make some of the dishes. Um, and I love Arabic music, I have to say, and I can sing along with some of them. Um, and, um, And I I love the culture. It wasn't wasn't difficult. It was just so strange and so different. And so one of the things for me over the years, and I have written poetry about um, the stories that particularly my brother-in-law Oded told me, because he has very good recall. He was 12 when he left. My husband was a baby and he has very good recall of the life. And I made lots of notes and I wrote poetry and short stories. Um, I hadn't thought about writing a book for children, but equally, there wouldn't have been the encouragement to do that eight, 10 years ago. Not in this country. Um, there is a, a an issue about, you know, well, Jewish stories of the Holocaust or Anne Frank. Um, and... There, there wasn't a lot of interest in a wider it has changed there are more children's writers now and there is wider and i was very worried about this book i thought this is a very niche book thank god i met michael bean and pj Alway have taken the book they'll be distributing five thousand copies to their family membership but i thought it won't get any further than that i have spoken at um you know, non Jewish school librarian conferences, and they're all fascinated. There is a real interest. The book is getting very well reviewed. So, I decided about two or three years ago that I wanted to write a book about the Iraqi Jews because I didn't see it in children's literature anywhere. I've read Eli Amir, the dove flyer. I've interviewed him for the Jewish Chronicle in London. It's like interviewing my brother-in-law. It was fantastic. And I've read that book three times. And I've I've uh, read Sami Mikhail. Those are the only two translated into English where I can read about you know adult literature about the iraqi jewish experience but what about children and um, what about my grandsons who know their suba was born in iraq but what does that mean to them so i decided to write a story about it and i was very encouraged by pj alway who um distributes um, books by Jewish authors on Jewish subjects, they're not all Jewish authors, on Jewish subjects to Jewish children to promote Judaism. They've they've distributed 6 million books worldwide. And I I put this to them and said, you know, are you interested in this? And they said, we have all the parents saying, all you publish is Ashkenazi stories and we want the diversity. Here's this word, diversity. Diversity is not something outside the Jewish world. We are a very diverse people. And we need our stories to be told for our children, let alone for everybody else's children. So they encouraged it. I said, look, when the Iraqi Jews went to Israel, my husband's family have told me there was prejudice. It was difficult. What do you feel about me putting this into a children's book? You must tell the story. So. I'm a very egalitarian person, and I have been honest about the difficulties, and also, you know, shown that there were people who did not buy into that kind of prejudice. So I hope that the arc of the story um, opens a door for people on a fascinating culture and a fascinating world. And I loved writing it.
0: That's very good. It, it's um, it's a semi-owned voices book, um, yes. and I'm I'm wondering um, what. Your husband's take would have been had he stayed in Israel and not gone to live in London. Um, do you think, because we talked a bit about this, um, it's a slice of life that everybody remembers from the early days of Israel in the 1950s, um, and especially my own uh, family. Um, but um, like you say, you know, um, Jews strive to be better than other people, but we sir- we sure have our foibles. And uh, when the when the Ashkenazi Jews came to live in, in New York, eh, and the Sfardim were there, uh, they were not made to be feel comfortable either. So um, yeah, we 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 traveled the world for two thousand years, as you said, and um, then uh, because of uh, basically mainly evil things, we we started to get to know each other, which was hatred and prejudice and persecution, which which drove us together, and then oh my goodness, there's Jews that speak Ladino and there's Jews that speak. You know, my, my, my sister's married to a, a wonderful Jewish guy whose parents are from Turkey and I married a Sephardi, uh, into a Sephardi family from Iraq. Um, and um, it's, <clears throat> your story is a very poignant slice of life from the early years of the country. I, I would argue that um, we still have issues um but it was hard for me to fit in as, as a Canadian who came when I was 18 um and it, it was hard for the Ethiopian Jews but 20 30 40 years have passed and they are now well regarded and they're in the Knesset and they're in the army and um and and certainly um Jewish people are human beings so Tell me a few vignettes from this from this wonderful book and how you got the idea of the swimming.
1: Yes. Um, you know, I, I write um, contemporary and historical realistic fiction for children, teens, and adults. And in fact, this is my 10th published novel. Um, and therefore, I am inspired by very challenging subjects. And my husband's story is fascinating, but there are very challenging sides to it. Um, And I don't want to write an ultimately very serious book that goes on and on and on. I've done more research than you can imagine um, because although I was told a lot of anecdotes, as I say, by my brother-in-law, every every fact in my book is backed up as far as I can. And I've read and reviewed a lot of books that have been published here. And I've seen documentary material and talked to people, Iraqi Jews and non-Jews. So, so the facts are very important to me. But I don't want to write a book that's like walking through mud. So I like to have humor in my book. Uh, so my main character, Salman, is 12 years old, Salman Shasha. We used that name. I asked my husband's oldest friend, Chaim Shasha, very well known family. Can I use your surname? It's so beautiful. And it's also very easy for Anglo speaking children to pronounce. And it's a it's a very, you know, engaging name. So he was very pleased to have the name. So Salman Shasha is 12 years old and he has uh, his best friend is his cousin Latif, because in very big families and very close families like the Iraqi Jewish families, you found your friendships you know, amongst your cousins, really. Um, and, you know, my husband is the youngest of eight. He has more cousins than I can imagine. I've <laughs> met them all. Um, so, um, but uh, but I know that I'm going to be telling for children, and I've got seven and eight-year-olds reading this book, as well as adults, That it's and even for adults, it's going to be a hard story. It's a hard-scrubble story. They arrive in Israel in 1951. The country's three years old. You know, I said this to this group of librarians I was talking to, and Salman wants to swim. And I said, There were no swimming pools. And they said, What? No swimming pools in Israel. I said, the country is three years old. You think the first thing they're going to build is a swimming pool? You know, so if people have a very, they don't have any view of Israel in 1951. So hopefully I've given them some sort of sense and they've got a very, very difficult life ahead of them. So his best friend is Latif and I make him the humor in the book, because if there's no humor, every single time things go wrong, you know, who's going to cheer us up. And then the other thing is I love sports and I have to give, um, Salman something special about him. I love uh, the whole idea of them learning to swim in the Tigris River. Uh, there was a, a lovely um, Iraqi Jewish lady, Sa- Samantha Ellis's mum, she's a well-known writer, Samantha, who came to my book launch and said, well, I used to swim in the Tigris River. It's really hard, you know, it's a very choppy river. So, you know, I'm sort of trying to get all this in. So I feel that the swimming and Salman having a goal, which is going to be virtually impossible when he has to leave his country, which he doesn't want to leave Um, will give a real sort of interest and bring children in because children love swimming, they love water. You know, I I want to give them a context, something, because this book, the, the historical context of this book is virtually unknown. It's virtually unknown in the adult Jewish world, virtually unknown in the adult children, Jewish children's world, and practically unknown outside the Jewish world. So I'm giving people... I'm asking a lot of people, but then I do when I write. Um, and and so in relation to my husband and his family, um, they were quite a political family. And there were several of them who left to live abroad because they felt the prejudice against them was never going to die down. And it made them very angry. Um, but they all have recognized that the country has moved on and that things are different. Um, but they hold it, you know, they, they are still angry at the way their parents were disrespected. My, my father-in-law was a goldsmith. I never met him, unfortunately. He was the first person in Iraq to import machines to cut gold. He was known as Abu Hamar and My Judeo-Arabic is awful. Um, And people came from all over the country to stay overnight in Baghdad so that he could cut their gold. And they didn't have to use a saw. He was a well-known man, well-respected. He comes to Israel, they spray him with DDT, and he can't get a job. He has to work on the roads. So... You know, I think this was very difficult for them. He was a man in his thirties. He wasn't, you know, a young man. He had eight children. Mm-hmm. He had, you know, young men in his family, 12, 15 years old. And it, But his mother was a Zionist. She was very much behind, let's come to Israel. Salman represents my father-in-law and the Jews who did not want to leave Baghdad. Uh, he resists it. He won't even learn Hebrew. He goes to underground mm-hmm. classes. What, why what, what, why no. was that? My they, Well... <laughs> I think that they all interpreted what was going on in their own way. And my father-in-law was, you know, happy, successful and wanted to stay in Baghdad and cope with the, a bit like the Jews that stayed on after Hitler came to power. Um, there were six or 7,000 Jews who stayed on and we know how their lives became impossible until they were running away until, and the Kurds were spirited them over the mountains. Their world was very, very different, uh, Edwin Shooker talks about this, and I know he's he's quite well known. Um, but but they were, you know, they 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 left in that sort of first huge tranche when the community, Eli Amir says that it's the first time in history and practically an entire community has got up and left a country. You know that the Iraqi government thought when they set this thing, well, you can go, we'll allow an airlift, but you've only got a one year window. After that, forget it. And they thought 8,000 Jews would go. They had no idea that 120,000 Jews, one third of Baghdad, the wealth and the education that would get up and leave. There was no music on the Arab radio in Iraq for 20 years because the Jews played all the musical instruments. Uh, The Jews Jews were
0: were so important. Iraq fell apart after the Jews uh, left. Um, politically, politically e- economically, yeah. um, in, in in musically, uh, in in uh, in every uh, walk of life, um, yeah. and um, so it's very interesting because I, I wish that my late father-in-law were here because he would have said yes uh, this did happen uh, but we've moved on and uh, most of the Iraqi Jews who stayed and, and persevered. Along with everybody else, including American Jews and the Jews from Iran and 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 everywhere, um, they would today I think especially in the situation be very proud uh, of what we've achieved while saying yes we have a lot more to aspire towards. Um, Miriam, let's let's talk about your, your, your career, your life growing up uh, in uh, in London, how you became an author, uh, your your career in education.
1: I was a very good girl, you know, a quiet little girl. Well, no one spoke in, in England in the 1950s, you know. Nobody wanted to know what children had to say. I don't know what it was like in Israel, but, you know, we were we were expected to go to school, behave ourselves, and we never spoke.
0: Well, I grew up in, I grew up in Canada, and uh, you were not allowed to be uh, left-handed, and we had to pray to Jesus, so...
1: Yeah, no, we didn't. I didn't quite have that. My mother had that growing up. I mean, I went to I went to school. I was a good girl. I did all my exams. But my my mother says I taught myself to read. She said, I realised by the time you were three and a half, you weren't just telling the story. You were actually reading the words. So reading was the I always say to the children, I going to school. The most important thing I did as a child was reading, except for playing out, because I was also a very adventurous kid. Um, So um, reading was important to me and I always wrote, I wrote from when I could pick up a pen. And then when I was 10, I read Anne Frank's diary. And the most important thing for me at that time, I mean, obviously, this is a a very sad story, but she was a very good writer. She would have been gone on to write amazing things. And she said, this is how I'm practicing. And I thought, oh, I can do that. So I've been writing journals ever since. Not continuously, but I do a lot of diary writing. And it is good practice and a lot of note writing for sort of all my books. I've always got them around the moment. I've always got notebooks with the next you know the next project in um but i didn't tell anybody because there was no creative writing classes in school you wrote essays you didn't write stories nobody the word creative didn't exist when i was growing up um and then i went to university and i trained to be a teacher and i studied history which is my great love and after university, and I was still—I was writing all through these years. Didn't tell anybody. I did um, teach myself the guitar. I was quite musical. I played piano, clarinet. Taught myself the guitar and wrote songs because it was the folk era. So my poetry—I was writing poetry a lot, and that went into. But you know, no, I wouldn't ever submit anything. Well, there was nowhere to submit for publication. I don't know what people did. You know, it was—it was—it wasn't a world I could enter. Um, I just hoped that one day it might happen. Um, after university I travelled abroad, I lived abroad for two years, I travelled quite a lot and I wanted to live and work and learn the language and I spent a year in France and then I came to Israel. I came to see what it is, whether I want to be here, do I want to live here and I did an all-pan, I made sure I learned the language, I did all the right things and I lived on the Golan Heights in Moshe Avenue of Airt, the first year that the ski season opened, it was completely mad. And uh, and the raid on Entebbe happened while I was there. So we wake up that morning and the manager of the hotel, the ski lodge, who, you know, hardly looked like your sort of standard Israeli hero, has a gun over his shoulder. And we're going, well, why have you got your gun? You know, And he said, well, everybody's got to be armed now because haven't you heard? And then, you know, the story came out. So, so that was it. There's always something happens in Israel. Every year something happens. So if you're there for a year... Something will happen, and that's what happened. Um, and the country, when I arrived, was quite depressed. Everyone's walking around after the '73 war. I saw a lot of injury and depression. And then the radar he- and heavy happens, the whole country, you know, jumps up. And there's a. It was, of course, an amazing achievement. So I came home um, from Israel because the relationship didn't work out. You know, I think I think you have to find a niche. You you either meet someone you stay with, or you find a career or something. But that didn't work out for me. I had a wonderful year, and it stood me in very good stead. And then I met my husband two years later in London. So I I was teaching, and always writing. And then after I had my children, I've got a boy and a girl, and I've got two gorgeous little grandsons jacob and samuel (laughs) don't get me started that will be the rest of the podcast um (laughs) uh, after i had my children a creative writing class started in the golders green library at the top of my road and i thought well now i'll have a chance to see if there's anything there and i started to get published within a year so it was there that's that's
0: that's very rare that's very rare
1: well it was it was a short story it was short stories and poetry and book reviews and i started does it matter yeah. You
0: know, I'm, I, I, I've interviewed over 100 authors, and um, to have a, a, a book or short story, whatever, published traditionally, um, is a real feat. And as far as books are concerned, you are one in a thousand. Um, mm-hmm. For every traditional book, and you've had 10, um, so that's that's quite incredible.
1: Oh, so thank you pack God. yourself
0: on the back for me. <laughs>
1: Yes, it's one of those careers, you know, you never quite know where you are. But So within, you know, within I, a year
0: you were publishing already.
1: Yeah. But you also yeah, had two
0: like, kids at a day job.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is it. I had to go back into teaching and did an MA. So you can't really write novels. You can write poetry. And I, I have published three poetry collections. And you can do, you know, book reviews and bits of articles and things. The short story was never really my thing. Um, I have done more short stories and they are in anthologies for children, but I sort of fell into children's writing. I was asked to do something and I had to go and it was like a tap turned on. I thought, I love this. So as I came out of teaching, that's what I developed. And I started to write the novels. And I think it would interest people to know that, about the writing of this novel. So I I had the idea and it was accepted. And then COVID comes along and it's 2020. And I'm trying to write a novel because we're all sitting at home. I hated COVID. Don't tell me, oh, I did lots of work or I did all this. Ex- I hated every minute of it. And being separated from my grandchildren was like I broke my heart. So um, I start to write this novel and it's like walking through mud. I get to the end of 2020 and forget it. I've got about 10,000 words. And I think, you know, I'm not going to be writing a novel in COVID. And. January, February 2021 was appalling here. We had snow. You couldn't even go out for the one hour you relied out. We were all in lockdown. I think that lockdown, we went mad. I think the world went mad. But for some reason, the engine turns on. And I go to my typewriter, I'm typing away, I finish a chapter, I go to Rafi, I read the chapter, he goes, I love it, I just need to ring so-and-so to check about that piece of information, or that Arabic word, or the Marlboro, we're ringing all around the world, it's this communal project, and I'm writing a chapter a day, and I finished the book by the end of February 2021, and I think it kept us sane, to be
0: honest. For sure. And uh, your relationship with Michael and uh, Green Bean.
1: Well, this was... Wonderful, really. Um, I no longer am with my agent. It was very amicable coming apart because I was going in different directions. But when I told her about my book, she said, Miriam, I can't publish that. I can't get that published. She already felt that the UK children's market would just not be very interested because although people go on and on about diversity, we Jewish children's writers, who I can practically name on one hand, don't feel that that is really being recognized. And this is something that I've started to talk to people about and the school librarians and saying to them, look, it is absolutely right and proper that we study black history. And not just once again and again, the slave history and and what before and what after. And that we study the Irish famine in this country. We should certainly know all about that. But the Jewish narrative does not just belong to the Jews. It is part of everyone's history, and it is not solely focused on the Holocaust and the shtetl. There are many, many different Jewish stories, all of which are equally valid, all of which are equally important. And people are nodding as I'm saying this. They're not sort of going, what's she talking about? They are, you know, it's like pennies dropping. That Do I know the Jewish narrative? Well, most people don't. They think they might. And if they've learned about the Holocaust, they've forgotten about it all, or they're now denying it or whatever. They don't know this. They don't know the Yemenite narrative. They don't know the Libyan narrative. I don't know that I know the Libyan narrative. And unless we have these stories told, and I don't know whether this is true or not, but we, we think this is the first time this story has been told for children. In any language. Now, it may be there is a story in Israel, but I'm not aware, and I have friends who sort of looked out. Certainly, I would say not in English as a novel. So it's an opportunity to get that story out there. Um, and we started from a different place. And I was going to say something else. What was it we were we started this bit with?
0: With uh, um, Jewish voices. Yes, Green it, Bean, it, Michael. Oh, Green Michael, Bean, how I came.
1: To, so, so I I didn't know who was going to publish it in England. Um, and then um, Catriona Friedman and Madeleine Travers at PJ Alway said you should talk to Michael Leventhal. We'll introduce you. And Michael is publishing. He's he's in his fifth year now of Green Bean Books, publishing books on Jewish themes. Um, he's published Ivor Badil, David Badil's brother. Wonderful book, Ben's Bonkers Bar Mitzvah. And he read my manuscript, and this was in 2022, my heart's in my mouth. Um, I'd had major surgery actually, and I got an email from him the week after. And I handed my phone to my husband and said, oh, I can't bear it. And he says, No, there's nobody yeah. else, you know, who, who understands this story. He loved it. He loved it. The relationship with Michael right from the beginning has been. Absolutely on side. Absolutely, He's the one. We have a recipe for bebe biscuits, date biscuits, in the back of the book. He's a great foodie. He publishes Jewish cookbooks, and he said, "Let's have a recipe in the back." And I thought, great, you know. And uh, so I'd these are these
0: would... are the famous uh, Baba Tamar.
1: Yeah, these are the date ones, and there's there's lots of different kinds. My my mother oh, do, 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 you, made... do you make do you make them? Yeah, we make date biscuits. Okay, got so them.
0: you you have you have to be prepared for me coming over next visit to the UK.
1: You have to come and see us, Mel, and uh, we'll fit you full of...
0: I I I I shall indeed. I'm rather afraid to come now with everything that's going on in in London.
1: Um, That's interesting. (laughs)
0: uh, Your writing is lovely. Um, Are you worried that people are going to misinterpret your book or use it uh, saying, oh, you see, Jews are evil, Jews are bad, Israel is bad, Israel is a um, is a what's the word a um, uh, racist?
1: You, well, you You're know, like uh, yeah, this is possible. Okay, well, so... you know, and, and,
0: uh, we 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 talked about this. You know, we're a country and we have uh, prejudices. <laughs> um, people expect expect us to be a hundred times better than everybody else, when we're maybe twice as good, um, and uh, and we aspire to be. Um, so so yeah, what's your take on this?
1: So, I always say um, Hitler said that the Jews are different to everybody else, so we'd exterminate them. But he's wrong. We are the same as everybody else. We have the same spectrum of people. And, you know, trying to hide away and pretend we don't mm-hmm. because we're afraid somebody's going to use it. Well, let's face it, they use whatever they can anyway you know, the the anti-Semitism in London since October the 7th is unspeakable. Um, But actually Hanukkah was a great turning around and Hanukkah was celebrated here. Every menorah that could be lit on the streets and in the windows, non-Jewish people put menorahs up and lit them. Uh, I felt it. there was a tiny little bit of graffiti, but it was almost, I can't even quote you when and, when and where. And so there was, So you know, the British people have a very strong sense of fairness. And we have marched about anti-Semitism here. And we we have made it absolutely clear. So what I say now about Israel is Israel. is an imperfect country now show me one that's perfect so you know I I, this whole kind of business of Israel has to be more than something and this and that and the other it isn't it -hmm. is what it is there are Mm -hmm. every different kind of Jew in the world in the diaspora which is a perfectly valid place to be um, where half of us live and the other half live in our national homeland and also have all sorts of different wonderful wonderful sides and unfortunately sides it's a bit like my rabbi used to run a course called the bits of the bible we're ashamed of <laughs> because, you know, i'm not i'm not proud of every word in the torah and uh that's the way it is we are an imperfect people um now the the whole thing about yes i thought this was a very niche book anyway because nobody knows this story and i thought a lot. I might just get indifference, quite honestly. Yes, people could take this book and use it as another stick to bash us, like everything else that's going on since October the 7th and before. But actually, this is where I've been so amazed, I have done um, lots of different talks to lots of different groups, most of whom are not Jewish, because most people in Britain aren't. And all they're saying to me is, and I talk about, you know, it was difficult, the Ashkenazi Jews did have this superiority complex, they did look down on the Middle Eastern Jews, it has changed, but it was very painful for my husband and his family at the time. And, you know, not everybody was like that. I balance it up with the Ashkenazi Jews who were open-minded, so Salman re- meets meets both kinds. Um, but they haven't then turned around and said, "Oh well, you know what do you expect from Israel? It's a genocide of You know all this stuff and nonsense we get." I haven't had any of that. I have had one Jewish person say to me, "I have to say to you, Miriam, that this worries me, and everybody will think all Ashkenazi Jews are racist against." And I answered her and said, "Well, I'm sorry, but I haven't had that response, and I've." You know, I I have talked about my book as widely as I can. And, you know, here I am now. I don't know who my audience is. You know, it could be anybody from anywhere, which is fantastic. And I hope that I speak to everyone. Um, I I will say also, just along those lines, that I have a reputation for being a peace activist. Um, I've done interfaith work for decades. And I most i'm very big on social media and you follow me you will see that mostly what i say is i wish for peace for all life on earth because i'm just as um i think the the plants and the animals are just as important as the humans
0: Yeah, yeah wonderful well i i'll just say it's usually not the case that i interview people who have such a similar uh history um you know, I've uh, I have two kids, two grandchildren. I married an Iraqi, um, and um, and I love Bebec Tamar. And um, I, I think that the, the only point of difference here is that I chose to to stay in Israel. Uh, I I came when I was eighteen, um, and um, to another kibbutz and uh, and I I stayed. Um, and I'm very proud of. we've accomplished and i'm of course cognizant is that the right word of our imperfections but i would have to say that as a jewish person i I do think that we have to be better um and um if if we aren't then we have to get on it um you know and yeah this is has always been um what i think so so when, when 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 jews Get things wrong uh, when they um, we have to take a very close look at ourselves, um, and um, I think that this is why I, I stayed in in uh, in Israel, and um, so so your book is really um, it, it, it it's something that, that should be told, uh, and it, it's something that you know it happened to many. I would say practically all of the the Jews from Iraq who uh, who came in 1951. It's a sad episode. Um, and um, it's something that we, we have to, to learn from going forward. Uh,
1: and I have to say that the Israeli family and the Iraqi family around the world are very, very excited about this book. And their excitement is because... Um, their story is being told. Now, I know that Eli Amir and and Samir Mikhail, and I think there are Israeli writers, because I can't read in Hebrew, who have written, but here again, and and I come from where they come from, I'm part of their family and the friendship group that we have, and so it's being told anew, with a fresh insight, I hope, because I don't come from the Iraqi community, but I've been married into it for 45 years. And I know my bits of Hebrew, so then Chai, shwaya, shwaya, habibi. you know, I can I can do it. I wish I I wish I spoke Arabic Judeo Arabic. Um, but it it's a con a constant learning curve. It, it's it's really, really beautiful. My husband and I do talk about this um philosophy of the Jews should be better. Um and I think that he feels it very much because they experience the prejudice. And, you know, why are Jews dishing out what they have complained about happening to them? So this is an important issue that, you know, I think Israel has um, tackled it and has um, thought about it. And I think that is the thing to admire, the constant desire to strive to be better.
0: Right, Miriam, we have and, this you know, my, my, my children prefer to be called Iraqi Jews than Ashkenazi Jews. I think that that says it all.
1: That's interesting. Yeah, that's lovely. Um, um, I it, know that it, my, my children are very proud of the Iraqi Jewish origin. And and,
0: and, and they should be. Of course they should. <laughs> 2,500 years of tradition. I know,
1: um, before so, anybody was there.
0: So, so um, before we go, I, I, I always ask my published authors for a few tips for the, um, the aspiring
1: authors in the trenches. Well, if you want to write... Um, first of all, you have to read as widely as possible. It's no good saying to yourself, I just want to write fantasy and you just read that. You're just going to narrow your options down. You need to know, you need to see good writers succeeding and and work out how they did it, which is actually how I learned to write because we didn't have creative writing classes. I would recommend going to creative writing classes and check out the credentials of the tutor and make sure they're published and they know how to do it because a lot of people put themselves out there. And you have to work. You have to persevere. Um, There is no easy route to writing anything. Um, I didn't start with a novel, I started with doing lots of short, different things, learning how to write through my creative writing classes. And then I I spent years beforehand writing bits and pieces anyway. Um, Just because you can write a lot because you've been taught to be literate doesn't mean you can write a novel, you have to work out how to do that. Um, The novel is the marathon. And don't give up. Lots of people do. And then there are those of us who keep going. And in my case, you can actually read one of my books, which is really nice.
0: <laughs> and I, I highly recommend that people do. Uh, Miriam, this was wonderful. I I learned so much. Um, and uh, I've been here with Miriam Halakmi, celebrating, show the book, wave it around. A Boy from Baghdad, uh, published uh, in two weeks, officially, by Green Bean. Uh, and um, from uh, somewhere in Athens to somewhere in London. Um, This is Mel Rosenberg for the U-Books Network. I'm the host of the Children's Literature Channel. Usually I talk about picture books, which is my soft spot, but it was wonderful talking with Miriam on a a middle grade, uh, so close to my heart, the boy from Baghdad. And uh, Miriam, I cannot wait to taste your date. What do you call them in uh, England? Date... uh, Date biscuits.
1: Date we just biscuits. call them date biscuits. Date biscuits. We, we, we look forward to having you in London, Mel.
0: And uh, and as the Jews say, uh And the best wishes to your husband. I, um, I can't wait to meet him and uh, talk to him about his experiences. Um, and um, good luck with this book and all your other books. And the uh, best regards to uh, Michael and all my friends in London. So until we meet, it's been wonderful. Shalom. Peace Hello. and peace. Uh, keep up the <laughs> good work. Thank you very word. much.
1: Thank you very mm-hmm. much, Mel. It's been wonderful. Shalom, peace, salam. For me also. <laughs>